<clears throat> Some of you may have noticed that this year, uh, the brightest, most hopeful day of the year, and one of the darkest, or perhaps the darkest, most dreaded day of the year, are only a week apart. Today's Easter Sunday. Does anybody know what next, what happens a week from now? Your taxes are due. That's right. Uh, one week apart. Now, <clears throat> we all dread that, but honestly, there's some years when you sort of look forward to it because you've done your taxes or your accountant's done them and you realize, hey, I'm actually getting some money back this year. So you sort of look forward to filing that return with the IRS and to receiving that refund. Uh, several years ago, I <clears throat> filed my taxes and I knew I was getting a refund back and I was excited about this. And then that check came in the mail. And so I eagerly opened it, and it was for $2,000 more than I was expecting to get back. Now, it's one of these moments where you're sort of, you're overcome with joy, but you're not quite sure what to do either, because part of you is scared that, you know what, they're going to realize they messed up, and a year from now, somebody's going to be knocking on my door wanting this money back with, with interest. It was, it, was almost, it was almost too good to be true. What do you do with, with, with those events that are so good, that are so unbelievable, but yet they're almost too good to be true? Well, Jesus' disciples faced that situation. Uh, Luke 24, uh, this, is, this is after the resurrection, beginning in verse 36. <clears throat> As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. They were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, these are your words and they are good words. They are glorious words. I pray that you would... Uh, real to us now. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I want to suggest to you something something very simple. Uh, I want to suggest to you that what I did with that check from the IRS is what the scripture calls us to do with the resurrection story of Jesus Christ. Uh, what was the first thing I did when I got that check? I was surprised. I got it. I looked at it. I held it up in the light, I flipped it over, I checked the envelope. I wanted to make sure that this thing was actually real. And then I got on the phone and I called someone. And I got through quickly. 
And this is the answer that I heard when I called the IRS. The guy said, just a minute, Mr. Kendrick. Then he came back and he said, well, see, what happened was you made a mistake on your return, but we corrected for you and we're giving you this extra money back. Now, none of you believe the story at this point, but this is, this is, but this is really what they said to me. We owed you the money, and so we want you to have your money. It was amazingly good news, but it was almost too good to be true. And so I examined it. I checked it out. I looked it over. I investigated it to see if it was real. Uh, In this text, Jesus appears to his disciples, and verse 37 says, They were startled and frightened. And thought they saw a spirit. They, they thought they saw a ghost. And what does Jesus do? Well, he, he argues with them. He talks to them. Uh, he says, why are you troubled? Why did doubts arise? And then he, he says, okay, look. And he shows them his hands. He shows them his feet. Touch me. Look at me. Examine me. And then he says, Look, do you have anything to eat? Watch, I'm, I'm eating. I'm, I'm not a ghost. I'm, I'm here. I'm real. I am risen. Now, if, if you're not sure about the resurrection, if it seems like the story that, that's too good to be true, uh, Jesus is saying the same thing to you this morning. He's saying, it, check it out. Examine me. Investigate. Search the scriptures. It's true. I'm risen. Now, some people will say, well, you know, it it doesn't really matter if he was really risen. All that matters is the meaning behind the story. And that's what we celebrate. But the Bible says, no, it, it absolutely matters whether it's true or not. What matters is that it's not just a story, but it's the story. It's a true story. It's a historical story that Jesus is indeed risen. And because Jesus is risen, death doesn't have the final word. Death doesn't have the final say. And so, let me just, just give you a, a few thoughts. If you're saying, man, I don't, I don't know, it's too good to be true. Let me give you a few thoughts to get you started examining the resurrection, checking out the resurrection. <clears throat> you know, some people will say today, well, look, we've got a modern worldview, and we're scientific, and we've done all this research, and we know that people just don't rise from the dead. They just don't raise from the dead. Uh, those people back then, you know, they were, they were prehistoric. They were gullible. They, they just expected things like this to happen all the time. Well, look, it was just as strange for them as it is for us today if someone were to rise from the dead. They weren't expecting this. They weren't looking for this. Um, The disciples, back in um, Mark chapter 9, Peter and James and John have gone up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and met there with Jesus uh, and Elijah and Moses. And as they're coming down the mountain, Jesus says, Now, don't tell anybody about this until after the Son of and has risen from the dead. And it's the text says in Mark 9, so they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. They didn't, they didn't know what he was talking about. They weren't expecting this. That's why they're startled and frightened. Whoa, whoa, wait. What's, what's going on here? See, first century Jews were expecting a general resurrection 
of, of all people at the end of the age, but they had no expectation of an individual resurrection in the very middle of history. Uh, there were other messianic movements back in those days. And in no other case did the followers of this supposed Messiah claim that their Messiah had risen from the dead. If he died, they either said, oh well, never mind, that didn't work, and they went about their business, or they found a new Messiah to follow. But in no other case did they claim, he's risen, he's not dead anymore, he's alive. The Jews weren't looking for this. The Greeks and the Romans didn't have this in their worldview at all. They didn't, you just die and that was it. That's what they thought. And so, you know, if, if you're questioning the resurrection, uh, don't think, don't have this uh, historical arrogance where you say, well, those people back then, they just didn't, they didn't know things like we do. It was just as strange to them as it is to you today. And yet, and yet, they claimed he was risen. Uh, secondly, uh, the stories about Jesus' resurrection were circulating or were actually written down within 15 to 20 years of the actual event. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says that Jesus appeared to over 500 people after the resurrection. Now, now think about that. What if I showed up and I'm a little movement, uh, my own new little religion, uh, and I said, hey y'all, 20 years ago, this guy in Spartanburg rose from the dead and over 500 people saw him. Now, can't you imagine that there would still be a lot of people around Spartanburg that were here 20 years ago? There would be people around who would say, that didn't happen. There was nothing in the news about that. Nobody heard anything about that. I was there. I don't remember that. And yet, in, in the case of Jesus, there were no real arguments made against the resurrection at the time. Nobody could argue against it. Nobody could contradict it. And it spread like crazy. The news of it spread like crazy, which is the, which is the third thing to think about here. If there was no evidence, if everybody's saying, oh, that didn't really happen, then why does it spread like crazy? Why are people so willing to embrace this completely new worldview that's like nothing they've ever heard before? Why is that? Uh, and then there's the disciples. Uh, if they're making this story up, why are the disciples depicted in such an unflattering light? I mean, if you're making this up, you know, you don't paint the disciples the way that they're they're pictured. They don't get it. They're denying Jesus. They're running away. They're scared. They can't ever figure this thing out. You wouldn't make them up like that. You would make these guys heroes. These are the guys who are going to have to spread this good news. These are the ones who are eventually going to die for this good news. You would think that you would make them heroes. But they're bumbling, and they're slow to learn, and they're fearful. Uh, in his book, Reason for God, Tim Keller says, uh, most people think the burden of proof for the resurrection is on believers to give evidence that it happened. This is not completely the case. The resurrection also puts a burden of proof on its non-believers. It is not enough simply to believe that Jesus did not rise from the dead. 
you must then come up with a historically feasible alternate explanation for the birth of the church. Well, if he doesn't rise from the dead, then, then why is the church here? He goes on to say it's not enough for the skeptic to simply dismiss the Christian teaching about the resurrection of Jesus by saying, it just couldn't have happened. He or she must face and answer all these historical questions. Why did Christianity emerge so rapidly with such power? No other band of Messianic followers in that era concluded their leader was raised from the dead. Why did this group do so? No group of Jews ever worshipped a human being as God. What led them to do it? Jews did not believe in divine men or individual resurrections. What changed their worldview virtually overnight? How do you account for the hundreds of eyewitnesses to the resurrection who lived on for decades and publicly maintained their testimony eventually giving their lives for their belief. And, and I would simply say, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, then just consider that perhaps the evidence points to the resurrection. That the historical evidence that we have is actually in favor of the resurrection. And then I'd ask you as well, why don't you want this to be true? I mean, wouldn't, what, don't, don't you want this to be true? This is the most incredible news. As someone has risen from the dead, uh, don't you at least owe it to yourself to check it out, to examine it, uh, to get a copy of Reason for God or Mere Christianity, or simply to take up the Scriptures and search them as Jesus points His disciples back to the Scriptures and explains to them what's happened. Check out the story. I mean, imagine if I got that check from the IRS and they told me I had all this extra money. If I just said, that's not true. This isn't real. This is fake. The IRS doesn't give people money back like this. They don't give them extra money back. The IRS doesn't answer the phone and get you through to somebody. They're not going to do that. They'll be on the phone all day. The IRS doesn't correct people's they don't. Those things just don't happen. And so I never examined it, and I never checked it out, and I just dropped the check and threw it in the trash. Read the story. Examine the evidence. This is not a $2,000 bank error in your favor. This is the story of the resurrection, that Jesus is risen. Well, uh, after I got off the phone with the IRS and I knew the check was real, what's the next thing that I did? I deposited it. I put it in the bank. I received it as my own. See, as long as that check sat on my desk, it was just a bunch of numbers on a piece of paper. It didn't, it didn't have any value to me laying there on my desk. It only had value for me once I received it as my own, once I deposited it into my account. Uh, Jesus' disciples had to intellectually believe the resurrection, sure, but then they had to embrace the message of the resurrection. They had to embrace the message of Jesus Christ. They had to take the message into them and actually be changed by it. Uh, the story is told of a family who was living overseas in Scotland and their son was going to visit family in another part of the country. Uh, and so they were going to, the way he was going to get there was by train. And so they made plans to take him to the train station the next morning. Well, as they were watching the news that night, on the news they started talking about the strikes. Uh, that the rail workers, the rail workers were about to strike, and they were going to 
for the month of May or whatever month it was. And so they watched the news and they said, well, that's interesting. And they talked about what that meant. And the next morning they got up and they took their son down to the train station and there were no trains there. And they walked around and said, why, why are there no trains at the train station? And finally they found a little chalkboard that said, today's Wednesday, the rail workers are on strike today, no trains will be running. See, they had, they had heard the message, they had even talked about the message, but they never really received it as their own. It was, it was outside of them, and it, so it wasn't doing them any good. Uh, listen to verse 46 and 47. Actually, 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. To all the nations. So the resurrection is part of a bigger story that Jesus has come, that Jesus has died on the cross for our sin, and that by repenting and believing in him, your sins can be forgiven. You can be made right with God. Uh, some of you have watched in the past couple of weeks, or maybe you've read uh, The Hunger Games recently, uh, this story that, uh, I'm not going to give anything major away, if you haven't seen it yet, this story that depicts life in the United States after some great catastrophe and, and rebellion, and the country is divided into... 13 districts that are all in, have to be in submission to the capital, which rules them with an iron fist, which has its foot on their throat to keep them from rebelling. One of the things they do to keep everybody from rebelling is that each year they take a boy and a girl from each district, and everybody has to put their name in the hat. Uh, and you can even put your name multiple times in order to get extra food rations and some people do this even though they don't really want to but they've got to have their food so they put their name in the hat more times increasing the, na- the chance that your name might be drawn if your name is drawn they take you and you into this arena participate in what is called the hunger games and it's basically a brutal fight to the death where only one person comes out alive uh, that person is showered with great treasure but everybody else is dead. And it's the way they have, the capital has of reminding everybody, we've got power over you. There's nothing you can do about it. We can snatch your kids away at any moment. Uh, in the book, uh, there's a character named Prim, who's the little sister of the main character, Katniss. And she's a small little girl. If she's selected, she'll be the smallest, weakest She'll probably die in the arena immediately, and and she's chosen to go forth. Uh, But her older sister Katniss, because she loves her so much, runs to the front and she screams out, I'll take her place. I volunteer. I volunteer. I'll go for her. I'll take the punishment. I'll die for this person that I love so much. At the heart of the Christian story is Jesus saying, I volunteer. I volunteer for you. I'll take the punishment that you actually deserve. I'll take the death that you deserve because I love you so much. At the heart of the Christian story is a cross, but it's an empty cross. 
because Jesus' payment for sin has been accepted by the Father. Because by His death, He's actually defeated death. And because by His resurrection, He's guaranteed the resurrection of all those who are connected to Him by faith. All those who have deposited the story. All those who have checked it out and then received it. All of those who have repented and believed the good news of the gospel. They hadn't just heard the story. They've grabbed hold of the story. Uh, they've received it into their hearts. And while it's almost too good to be true, they're filled with joy because of it. See, when you deposit this story, it doesn't just affect your mind or your heart. It affects your mind and your heart. It affects both of them. You don't just know the story. You find joy in knowing the risen Jesus. You find joy in eating with the risen Jesus. You know, if there's, if there's no joy, if you find no joy in the story, then it could be that you've never deposited the story in your account. You've never really received it. You've checked it out, but you haven't really claimed it for yourself. Or it may be that you simply need to take another look at your bank statement and to see what you really have, to see the treasure that's really yours, to see who does love you, to see who has given himself for you, to see the treasure that does now belong to you. You know, that's a, that's a struggle at times, isn't it? Even for the believers, it's a struggle to, to see and to savor and to rejoice in what we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones offered this suggestion uh, to, to help in that fight. He said, The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself. Preach to yourself. Question yourself. You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, Hope thou in God. Instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of who God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, and this is from one of the Psalms, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance the help of his face. I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. Hope thou in God. He is risen. He is not a dead Savior. He is a living Savior. Put your hope in him. Investigate it. Check it out. But then receive it and deposit it. Put it in your account. Remember what you have. And then finally... What made my joy in receiving the extra money from the IRS complete? Telling other people about it. You know, I think if, if you saw the greatest sunrise ever, but you couldn't tell anybody about it. Or you heard the best joke, and there was nobody to share it with. 
or you're the greatest song and there was nobody to sing along with you. If you couldn't experience, couldn't experience it with anyone, it's, it's the telling of it, it's the sharing of it that actually completes your joy. I want to submit to you that if you really want to experience the joy of the resurrection, you've got to be what Jesus calls his disciples to be in verse 48. You're witnesses of these things. You are my witnesses. You know, we, we hear that and we think, Jesus, can you pick somebody more articulate? Can you pick somebody that hasn't abandoned you? Not, not somebody who has a hard time getting it. Not somebody who has a hard time believing it at times. And yet, Jesus called startled, frightened people who are overcome with joy and yet it's almost too good to be true. And he called them to be his witnesses. They are common men. They weren't, for the most part, educated men. They didn't have degrees in communication. Uh, they weren't polished. They were just ordinary, confused, messed up, fearful people. People like you and me. And he said, you're my witnesses. You're my witnesses. And then he tells them this in verse 49. And behold, I'm sending you the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. It's almost like Jesus is saying, I, I understand who you are. I, I know what I have to work with here. Stay where you are. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to empower you, even you, to be witnesses. Now, let me say a couple things really quick. Uh, if, if you want things to get interesting around grace, if you want to be encouraged in your faith, uh, if you really want to experience the joy of knowing the Lord in your life, start telling the story. Start telling the story, this resurrection story. But to tell the story, to really tell the story, you've got to want to tell the story. Jesus isn't looking for people to tell a story just because I have got to, just because that's what the mature Christian life looks like, just because I felt guilty because I haven't done it lately. Uh, Jesus is looking for people for whom the story is a river that simply overflows its banks. That the banks can't contain the river anymore. That your heart can't contain the story anymore because it's such good news. And that means you've got to be a person who's seeking the face of God and longing and to find your joy in Him, being changed by following Him. But then there's a, a third thing. You can't tell this story in your own power. Jack Miller talks about the difference between maintenance prayer meetings and frontline prayer meetings. He says maintenance Prayer meetings are focused on the physical needs of the people in the church. Frontline <coughs> prayer meetings are marked by this. A request for grace to confess sins and humble ourselves. A compassion and zeal for the flourishing of the church. And a yearning to know God, to see His face, to see His glory. Think, think, about, your, think about your prayer. 
a request for grace to confess sins and humble myself. A compassion and zeal for the flourishing of the church. A yearning to know God, to see His face, to see His glory. Uh, If you've examined the good news and you've received it, you've deposited it, and yet you're stuck on this telling other people about it part, can I just give you a gentle nudge and say, think about your praying. Uh, Think about your prayers. Be self-conscious about them. And examine the way you're praying now and compare it to this type of praying that we just talked about. And then pray that, that God would rain down His grace on our church and on our lives and the lives of the people around us. Pray that we would indeed be not self-empowered, but spirit-empowered witnesses of the resurrection in Spartanburg. What do you do with good news? What do you do with the good news of the resurrection? If you hadn't examined it, examine it. Check it out. If you haven't already deposited it, if you haven't received it, receive it. Repent and believe. Receive Jesus as your Savior. If you haven't told anybody else, well then what are you waiting for? Christ is risen and will clothe you, even you, yes, you, with His power to be His witnesses. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, would you indeed uh, blow away our unbelief? Would you cause us to hear this story and to believe and receive this story and then to be excited to tell this story? We can't do that, but you can work that in us, and we pray that you would. We ask it in your name. Amen.